This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And good morning, everybody, out in Acadiana. Under the Dome with CD is officially underway. Two hours of no hold bar sports talk for you on your Saturday morning. Kickstarting your weekend off on the right foot. And, of course, we are coming to you L-I-V-E live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Looking good. Oh, we certainly are looking good. And of course, appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it through the free 1037 The Game mobile app, your favorite smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, Google Assistant, Google Nest. And they have like 2 billion different smart speakers these days. You can check us out over there or the dot com or even. Through, of course, the FM dial, 103.7, the game, the old school Tower of Power. The tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. And it's a fantastic Saturday. Hopefully you're enjoying it and you make it not just a good one, but a great one. Because it is Saturday. You know what that means. Under the Dome with CD. For two straight hours of non-stop sports talk. And we're going to talk a lot of different things on the show today. Obviously, we're going to get into some stuff involving the Cajuns, LSU, and Saints. It's going to be the, the bulk of the show. So if you want to get on the conversation, 337-706-0111. We'll get to the sermon in a moment. But I want to start the show off by you know talking about myself and talking about this show right here, and, and the Fantasy Football League we're going to have coming up at the beginning of the month. I appreciate the love, by the way. Because, again, it's a little bit different than most years where I've been inside the first South Farm Credit Studios each and every day producing the programs, and I'm getting calls for people to join my league, to join the other leagues. My league is full, and that was through almost sheer will to go from just me, myself, and I in that league to the full room in about four or five days. So I appreciate everybody. We'll be sending the invites out very, very soon, making sure that you can get into the league and make sure you can get to the draft party live at Twin Peaks on Johnson. That's going to be on September the 1st. So make sure you get in on the action with some of our other two leagues, James Mesh, David Grubb. Both of them are going to have fantasy draft parties before too long. So make sure you dive right in and get into all the action. You can hit us up or you can kind of hit us up with a private message on the Twitter sphere, Facebook, Twitter, 
1037thegame at gmail.com. Hit us up. You can contact us anyways that you know how to hit us up. Hell, you can send like a pigeon carrier here. We could probably wind up pulling that off somehow, some way. But now we're going to get to brass tacks and get to what's causing all this and what has me in such a good mood. Besides, obviously, you know, Astros winning last night, Manchester United, they opened up Premier League with a big win, 5-1 over Leeds. Gotta love to see that. But there's something else that really, really put me in a good mood on Thursday night. And I want to talk about it here on this Saturday with your Saturday Sports Sermon. Let's get it going. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. And I think you might know where I'm going with this. But what I saw on Thursday night may have been the single greatest thing the MLB has ever done, especially during the Rob Manfred era. The Field of Dreams game was nothing short of spectacular. Missed It Live was just getting back home from being here in the Delta Media Studios, taking care of business, doing what a production director does do. But I missed it live. But I was able to rewind the broadcast thanks to the miracles of modern technology. I was able to watch it on the big screen and see the entire spectacle from Kevin Costner, who still looks fantastic, and it made me want to see something else I'll talk about at the end of this. But Kevin Costner walking out of the cornfield. I was in awe of how it was all presented. Then the players all walked out while the iconic score of the late, great James Horner blared through the PA system. Left you stunned and had you convinced you are watching a movie remake, not a real, actual baseball game out in the middle of Dyersville, Iowa. Not going to lie, I got choked up for a quick minute in the midst of all the pomp and circumstance while the music's playing. All these guys are walking around, coming out of the cornfields, much like the movie. And I sat there on my couch in amazement at what I was seeing. And I was like, okay, I, I, I've always loved that movie. We talk about, we, we had this ongoing joke about how, you know, Jay Johnson was a big fan of Fur Love of the Game, which is not that great of a movie, to be honest with you. But Field of Dreams is a top tier movie. And here's what I didn't quite know until Thursday night. I also learned something. Learn something new every day. If not, you know, I don't know what you're doing. But Field of Dreams was actually released on the same day I was born, which is amazing to me because I wound up looking up a while back, like what was the number one movie the week I was born or whatever. And Field of Dreams, I don't think it was even close to being the number one movie. I, I, I'll look it up in the break and tell you because it's it's just wild to think that this came out on May 5th, 1989, the same day that I was born. And it's hands down one of the best sports movies, tugs at the heartstrings, and the beginning of the game did just that. Then we get the actual game itself. If this was a stinger of a ball game, we wouldn't be talking much about the actual contest that took place in high regard. We wouldn't be talking about it. We'd be talking about the presentation was great, but you wound up having a dud of a ball game, and you just sat there. It was like, okay. But this was everything you wanted in terms of a quality baseball game for the fans. A key word is for the fans. It may not have been a phenomenal game in terms of, you know, what you want, a true pitcher's duel or what have you. But you saw guys sending it out into the cornfields multiple times. Aaron Judge lifted one out there. And from that point on, you knew this was going to be something special. Way different than anything else. And this may have been, I think, 
one of the most, if not the most, entertaining and engaging regular season games that a baseball-watching populace, even if you don't have a dog in the hunt, if you're not a Chicago White Sox fan, if you're not a New York Yankees fan, and I'm far from a Yankees fan, and I'm far from a White Sox fan as well because the White Sox did beat the Astros in the World Series many, many moons ago. But I'm just saying, I absolutely loved the presentation, everything about it. The fact that it ended with a walk-off home run may have been the icing on the cake. No Hollywood writer, and certainly no WWE creative guy, could have put this perfect storm together. To where everyone walked away from this sports spectacle. Not just pleased, but enthralled. Used to me, this was the perfect situation. The second Tim Anderson's bat made contact with the ball to come away with a 9-8 win, this became something that I feel like should be played on a loop somewhere in Cooperstown because it was that important to the sport and more importantly growing a fan base that may become soured on the product, especially if, and the key word is if, we see what we're all kind of expecting to see, and that is the inevitable player strike and the lockout of 2022 because I'm almost certain it's going to happen. But this was a moment in time, and it was perfect. That said, this may be a controversial take here, and I definitely can dole those out from time to time. But there's no doubt in my mind that this should be a one-off or at least not a yearly thing. And when you have stuff like this, when you have these special moments, for instance, let's throw in one of my least favorite things in the world, the NFL Europe games, those international games you have in Europe, you have in Mexico City when you can, if things don't completely get set on fire because of fireworks. But I want to see it done occasionally. Not a, not every year, because the law of diminishing returns is going to get in full effect. If you see something great too many times, you eventually will get tired of it. You can't have ice cream for every single meal. Eventually, you're going to get tired of ice cream. You don't have something else. You can't have, you know, a like flaming yawn every single night you're getting, getting tired of it. that's why we make it more of a special occasion we need to make it more of a special occasion like we have a rejoin on this show that says talking about shrimp po boys i don't get a shrimp po boy every single day i make sure it's an every now and again thing it's a treat it's a treat for a great day's work or great week's work or a major accomplishment in my life i save those just so i can like truly enjoy all of it I think this needs to be a yearly thing. Maybe bring it back for the 35th anniversary. Because here's the thing. You want the fans to salivate and want to see this happen. And when you take it away a little bit, eventually you're going to want to see more stuff like this. I don't think they're going to necessarily do a complete overhaul and do like four or five of these games a year. But I wouldn't be surprised if they try and do some like little gimmick somewhere be it in the Dominican Republic or Cuba or Curaçao or wherever. Like, I mean, I know they they do the game in Japan with the Mariners and whatnot. That's a great idea. I love that. I just feel like you can't continually just bring back this Field of Dreams thing. They It was originally supposed to happen in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. About, obviously, COVID took away a lot. Like a, There was a ton of things COVID took away, but I think that one was the one that felt like it hurt a lot especially after you finally got to see it in 2021. 32 years after the movie came out. 
And again, it's the old saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So why not hold off on it for just a little while and make people really want to see this in the not-too-distant future? But the Field of Dreams game was amazing from start to finish. The only bad thing about it, Joe Buck was on commentary. But again, that's just my opinion. That's just my take on Joe Buck. You all know my feelings on him and how much I'm not a fan of him. He's good at, don't get me wrong, he's very good at baseball commentary. But I just still feel like he rides the coattails of one Jack Buck a little bit too much. Again, just my POV. But one thing that I also thought about when it comes to the Field of Dreams game, and I'm going to get into it in the next segment. So if you want to join in the conversation, 337-706-0111, we're going to keep it going about Field of Dreams. Because I had an idea. And I, again, my brain thinks about things just rapid fire, and eventually I just come up with these ideas and say, screw it, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. Is what other venues would like to see be used for games like this, not just in baseball, because I'll get to baseball in a little bit, but also what other, like, let's say the NBA, the NFL, college football, college baseball, something like that. I guarantee you, I've got a few ideas that you might like. But if you have your own on that subject, again, which venues would you like to see be used for a Field of Dreams-esque game? Give me a call at 337-706-0111. When you think them up, I've got my ideas. I'll talk about them next right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Also, Ross Jackson joined the program. He's back at 11.30 right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You listen to Under the Dome with CD. considered world famous but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us just don't talk to him while he's eating lay up man i'm starving now back to under the dome on 1037 the game acadiana's sports station welcome back to under the dome with cd once again we'll have ross jackson on at 11 30 towards the end of the program we got to talk about the saints and the Baltimore Ravens. We'll get to more of the pro side of things. I think that's, again, I've mentioned this before in the past, is I want this show, especially as we flip the calendar from August to September, to be a lot more staggered. So odds are, once we kind of get into fall and we see things change and we get to see high school football be a lot more high school, college, and hour one, hour two will be a lot more NFL-oriented. So we can kind of run the whole gamut. We're going to do that. That's going to be the plan for this fall. We're going to have college football talk in our one. We're going to have our two pro football talk. But obviously, we needed to kind of open it up with the Field of Dreams game because it was absolutely amazing. And I have some thoughts about it. But I want to also say this. When I saw Kevin Costner, I'm like, my God, when is when are we going to finally get Yellowstone back? Because it feels like we should have already had season four, but it looks like it's going to be back like November. I'm like, come on now. You're going to do that compete directly with Sunday Night Football? Mind you, I already have like all the episodes DVR'd. Why not keep it going? But that's a different conversation for a different day. Let's look at somebody on the hotline right now. You can call us up at 337-706-0101. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, good morning, Mr. World Famous. How you doing this morning? Hey, Jamie, what's good, dude? 
Oh, not a whole lot. Just driving up north to my in-laws for my daughter's birthday party. She's going to be four on Monday. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. So let me get this straight. You're a Man U fan? Yeah, I'm a Man U fan. I, I, like, I like some Man U. Man, I knew you couldn't get three things right in your first day. <laughs> you are absolutely right about the field of dreams. It doesn't need to be a yearly thing. It should be semi-annual, maybe every, like, three, five years, that kind of thing. Like you said, keep that keep that desire going. And uh, I, I think that the, the Major League Baseball and all the sports should look at some different venues but not make it a yearly thing. Yeah. So you're right about that. You're right about Joe Buck. I hate listening to the guy. I don't know. Every time he's on TV, I flip the channel. And <laughs> or you just mute it, one or two. You know? One of my teams or not. Or you just What's mute that? it. Or you just mute it, especially when, when your Bucks are playing. You're having to go deal with Joe Buck. You definitely want to just mute it, right? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll put it on uh, the radio broadcast yep. or something. I'm, I just I can't do it. But you're absolutely wrong about Man U. I'm an Arsenal fan, have been since I was a little tight. And even though we suck and we haven't done much in the last couple of seasons, I will always cheer for the Gunners. So, uh Anyway, I hope you have a good day, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up and listen to the rest of your program. I always enjoy listening to you, and uh, we'll talk at you later, man. All right, Jamie, catch on down the road, Mister Jamie. Appreciate him being the first caller on the program today. And if you want to join in, three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. And he brought up his arsenal. Who boy, not a great start for them. Zero and one. They they lost yesterday two nothing to Brentford. Woof. But that, that's all. That's all the. Soccer talk, I think, that we can handle. But, Jamie, you brought up the fact, uh, you know, seeing other venues being used across sports. I'm throwing these out right now. And these are ideas that, you know, maybe somebody who knows somebody who knows Roger Goodell or Adam Silver or whatever could kind of siphon these ideas out into the world. Because I think these are some really cool ideas and I would love to see be done. And again, I thought about it. This all happened like yesterday afternoon. I was kind of running through ideas for the show, and this was something that came up. I was like, okay, you know, what other games do we want to see as a sports-loving populace outside of regular everyday venues we see all the time involving certain teams and franchises? So I wanted to kind of look into it. And one of the first things that came to mind was not any of the big Four or five. Obviously, we see the NHL have a lot of these outdoor games. What they do is perfect. I, I really can't touch or top what they do with that. And unless you want to wind up putting a game somewhere at a duck pond, in, uh, like a frozen duck pond out in Minnesota and call it the Mighty Ducks game. I don't know. But that's a different conversation. When it comes to the first league that popped to my mind, it was actually the big three. The big three was the first thing that came up because, one, it exists still, which is great. And number two, why not have the All-Star game or the or the finals or the big three finals, the championship game, take place at Rucker Park? I understand you may not necessarily be able to make the amount of money you could in terms of attendance and whatnot, but I think it'd be a really cool visual to have Rucker Park, which is an iconic venue in and of itself for the legacy it has with a lot of ballers that have played on that park at one point or another. And also... A great basketball film, Above the Rim, was filmed there. I think you do that. It brings the 3v3 league back to its roots, and I think it'd be really cool. And that was just something, like, again, the second this floated through my head yesterday morning, yesterday afternoon, 
this was something that kept kind of popping in my head. Why not have the big three finals or an all-star game, however you want to put it, have that finals take place at the Rucker? And then I kept with that theme of the Rucker. I'll throw this out there. All-star weekend in New York City. I want to see a slam dunk contest from the Rucker. I got to be honest. That's where I want it to be. And I'll add this caveat as well, because I would love to see the pros take on some of the best street ballers in the country. Because, again, we're not getting the Zion Williamses of the world being in the dunk contest anymore. It's just not going to be, because there's so much more money involved in them staying healthy. And, you know, not necessarily taking a risk like that. We don't see LeBron James do it for a reason. We're not going to see Zion Williamson, I think, do it. And he already opted out of his first opportunity to do that. This year. It's almost certain we're not going to get a Zion Williamson in the dunk contest, which would be cool. But I think if you wound up seeing the creativity at the Rucker, that'd be a really cool idea. If you have some thoughts, give me a call. 337-706-0111. And I'll jump to college football now because I think there's some really cool ideas we can put together. But the one that I think I'd like to see the absolute most is an agreement that every time, and again, this is almost impossible to try and like put together something that you can make it work in college football. I can't think of anything. I'm sure you out there probably could, but the first thing I thought of was the movie Rudy. It's an all-time sports movie. Again, that's what that's where the main thing comes up here is iconic games and iconic sports movies. Why not? have an agreement every time Georgia Tech and Notre Dame face off at Notre Dame's home stadium, they both rock throwback unis to honor Rudy in that, in that sports movie. I even met Sean Aston a few years ago for a brief moment. Great guy. But I think it'd be a great moment if built up properly. And also you see a man, you see a cameo from Sean Aston, the man who played Rudy. That would be a really cool moment. Just see them rocking throwback uniforms. You know, not much has really changed with those uniforms over the years, but just have it be something like that. And in an era of name, image, and likeness, you could actually, you know, auction those off. You very well have those like jerseys, game worn jerseys, auctioned off, and you'd probably make a ton of money on that. I guarantee you, it's something that will wind up working out like gangbusters, at least in my mind. And this is another one I'll throw out here as well. In the NFL, again, it's tough because we already have the international games in Europe and we have the games out in Mexico whenever you don't have a Azteca Stadium get set on fire due to a botched fireworks job. That's a different conversation. So I was thinking about it. You know, instead of trying to find something that fits a movie theme, why not go the route that we see college football teams going where college football teams are playing in NFL stadiums. We see it all the time, especially week one. Why not? I'm pitching this idea right now. One game a year in an iconic college football stadium. Like for instance, a Packers Vikings or a Packers bears game being played in the Wisconsin Badger stadium. That'd be cool. I think the Indianapolis Colts could be playing in Notre Dame stadium. That would be a really Great visual in and of itself. Put that on Sunday Night Football 
I think you'd have a really good draw. Again, it's all about as well. The Colts actually being good can kind of help matters too. In terms of making that a thing. Or why not do this? You have at least one game every couple of years where the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers face off in the Rose Bowl. You heard me right. Put those two teams in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. That would be an epic game every couple of years. Rose Bowl is a really cool venue. I mean, we got LSU playing UCLA in three weeks' time. We'll talk about LSU in a little bit. But that's something that I really was thinking about when putting this together. Why not do it? Why not do it the other way around? We see a lot of big college football games being played in NFL stadiums in epic proportions. I mean, we've seen Alabama play in Jerry's World. We've seen LSU play in the Superdome against BYU to open up the season because, well, they had to move it because of the hurricane that was hitting Houston, if I'm not mistaken. They had to move that like very quickly. But my last one, and it's not going to be MLB-related, I want to throw this all together. And, again, this is just my like crazy world mind. But this would be an awesome idea and a great showcase of talent in my mind. Give me, like, one of the things that I think about is how we have, like, I, I know they still do it. But when I think about it, it feels like it's something that's not as done as much or, or talked about with as much, you know, pomp and circumstance. The McDonald's High School All-America game. And if you know, if you heard that, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe if you're around my age, you know and you're thinking of one LeBron James. I know we don't necessarily think about LeBron James and that great of a light in some cases, but this is a really cool idea that I had. So do something akin to that for high school baseball. Have it be a great showcase. Put it on 4th of July weekend. Now, I think, obviously, that's if the NFL draft, the, the NFL draft, listen to me, the MLB draft stays where it is now. I would love to see a college, a high school baseball All-America game, like they do for basketball in high school. Put it on 4th of July weekend and have it as a Sandlot game. I think the presentation, if you put it together and you have the MLB partner up with it, this would be through the roof and an absolutely amazing experience and a great showcase for these guys who may not necessarily be as well-known and a great opportunity for those scouts to really see what they do under the bright lights. And think about it. You know, you have a treehouse out there somewhere. You have it look as close to the movie as possible. And then at the end of it, you have a fireworks display, whoever wins or loses, whatever. You have Ray Charles' America, the beautiful play over the PA while the fireworks display goes off. That would be a epic cinematic idea I think that we'd all be for. That said, I don't think there's any outdoing what the MLB did on Thursday night. These are ideas that are just for fun, and I'm just having it because, honestly, we're getting that much closer to the football season starting up, and honestly, who doesn't love that kind of conversation? Just different things. Also, I, I want to throw this out there as well. Something akin to maybe Flint Tropics, Semi-Pro, Longest Yard, stuff like that would be fun as well, but I just don't know the true logistics of it all. But we're going to take a quick time out. We're going to talk about LSU base, LSU football. Excuse me, not LSU baseball. It's freaking August. If we want to talk about LSU baseball, we can talk about Greg Dykeman getting called up to the Cubs, which is really cool, but that's a different conversation. Let's get into the conversation about the LSU Tigers on the football field. Again, we're 21 days away from the start of the college football season. LSU taking on UCLA, and we're going to talk about that 
We're going to talk about the latest with the Tigers next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Back after this. On back after this. don't lie because when you listen to under the dome with cd your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on acadiana's sports station 1037 the game welcome back to under the dome with cd right here on acadiana's sports station 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a good one so far on this Louisiana Saturday morning. And obviously we're getting that much closer to the start of college football season. I'm all the way here for it, to be honest with you. I always just get so amped up once the season does indeed get started. And now that we're getting that much closer to it. And I sat here over the last couple weeks and just like thinking about it. A lot's gone on in the last year and change with LSU. We talk about a lot. This team went and won a national championship to start the year 2020. That was well over a year and a half ago. That happened. Then you have a 5-5 five and five record during a COVID-shortened season that was marred by two hurricanes and you know injuries left and right and opt-outs and everything in between. 2020 was the worst year. was the best of times and was the worst of times. A tale of two cities, or tale of two seasons, if you will, if we're talking about LSU. And now, I think the worst thing that's probably happened to them in the last month or so was what happened the other day with Glenn Logan, who re-entered his foot during practice and uh, supposedly will be missing a good bit of time. And I say that because I just think that's more pressing than Miles Brennan's injury. With all due respect to him, I think Max Johnson was going to prove himself to be better than Brennan during these preseason, during this fall camp. And he proved himself to be a little better during those two games last season. And he'd be the one to kind of outwork the supposed incumbent in Brennan. Because I think Brennan was kind of sitting there as that next guy that was going to take over and be the leader of the clubhouse because, after all, Ed O'Draw has so much respect for him. And it's justifiable, completely justifiable, the love that he has for Miles Brennan. The guy was loyal. Loyal is all get out because, honestly, You'd probably talk to a lot of other college football quarterbacks. And you think, oh, hey, you know, you get recruited. You're going to wind up playing down the road. Then you see somebody like a Joe Burrow come over, and he's that rare unicorn. Not just because he was a once-in-a-lifetime type of talent to have, but he had two years of eligibility as a transfer. Those don't come along too often. Those don't grow on trees, Jack. And that, that alone probably may, would make somebody like a Miles Brennan kind of wonder, what's out, what else is out there for me? What else is out there for me if I'm a player? What's out there for me if I want to be able to get better? If I want to be able to get to that next level? Miles Brennan had every chance to do that. And he had he was the starter the last season, but he got injured. It was such a bizarre injury. You're wondering how is he going to look heading into fall camp? And he looked like he was getting better, 
but I feel like Max Johnson was that guy that I felt like was probably going to win. It was all said and done when LSU did play, uh, does play UCLA in 21 days if Brent was healthy. That freak accident may have like sped up the inevitable, and now we get to see Max Johnson working with the ones. And the key word here is exclusively. It's not like how, what we're seeing at LSU. Uh, excuse me, in New Orleans. We're seeing him work exclusively with the ones and building that chemistry. I think chemistry, it may seem like an overrated thing, but I'm almost certain it's going to play huge when it's whenever we get to see these two, these teams get started and hitting other guys with other jerseys because that's really where it's going to matter most. Logan, integral part of the front seven, a good leader to have, alongside someone like an Ali Gay. He's absolutely going to be somebody to watch out for. But I think B.J. Ojolari is somebody that's going to have to step up as well if they want to have like a rotation in terms of depth on the defensive line, especially on the DN. Because I'm almost certain Andre Anthony could be one of those other guys, but I think if you want to see a lot more rotation, a lot more stunts and gimmicks, I'm 99% certain we're going to see more of B.J. Ojolari in 2021. And he's got to step up because if you is honestly, if you don't have Glenn Logan get hurt, I think you see B.J., but it's not as much as what you're going to see him now because of the fact that you wind up having like four guys that could probably fit that role. Because I feel like, in my mind, I'm not at practice every day, but just based off of my general observations, just my thought process, I think it would have been Glenn Logan and Ali Gay as you're one and two in the DNs, and you go further beyond that and you're too deep, I think you see a guy like Andre Anthony and B.J. Ojolari. You wouldn't see Ojolari nearly as much. So now, if he's out for a good bit of time, B.J. is going to have to step up in a big way. Meanwhile, you know, the, the running back room continues to be snake bit. Think about this. You've got, you know, Ty Davis Price and John Emery. They got hurt and missed a ton of spring practice, missed the spring game due to injuries. And you're wondering what's going on with this program in terms of that. And there's a lot of different things. You're just questioning if you're LSU. Ty Davis Price had a minor camp injury. According to Ogeron, he'll be back on Monday. But you never know how he's going to look when he comes back on Monday. You don't know who how that injury is going to feel, if he's actually going to be back. You've got like 21 days to get ready for your first opponent and probably one of the most important games Ed Ogeron is going to have. Because a lot like the LSU-Wisconsin game, when Les Miles lost that game, the seat went from hot to scalding. And when he lost Auburn, he was immediately out the door. Mind you, it was a buyout bowl game for both him and Malzahn. And Malzahn got an extended stay of execution, didn't get fired until this past season, which is absolutely mind-blowing in and of itself in terms of the conversation. But there are a bunch of young pups out there, namely Corey Kiner, and Armani Goodwin. He talked about these freshman running backs the other day during a press conference. Mind you, if you haven't heard this clip yet, it's a little loud, and I, I don't know why, but LSU needs to kind of figure out their mic situation because, again, this is just me and audiophile. I can just hear like it clipping from time to time. It's like, what the hell's going on? And I, I, no matter what video I wound up finding on the old YouTube, that kind of stuff happened. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Why can't we have, like, clear audio? I mean, thankfully, it's not like how it used to be back in the day where you're in the indoor practice facility and you're hearing the buzz going on, which, mind you, that's one thing I'm glad about. We don't have that kind of stuff anymore. Now we've got Zoom, which 
is still a pain in and of itself from time to time, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But here's Ed Ogeron talking about those freshman running backs. You know, Omani's been making some big plays. He's smooth. He's fast. He can get to the edge. He runs over the middle, but you know what? He avoids tackles. He can go side by side fast. He's good with the ball in his hands. Corey's a physical back, and uh, Corey didn't show out as much as uh, Armani did when we didn't get the pads on. The last two days of pads, Corey's have showed out. It's hard to tackle him because he has such a, a lower, um, lower um, body and uh, but very, very, uh, very good in between the between the belly and the thighs. He has a good trunk. You know, a lower center of gravity is what I want to say. He's hard. He got big shoulders, and uh, I, I, he showed out today. Now he's hard to tackle. And that's the thing. Corey Kiner is going to be fun to see how he kind of looks in this grand scheme of things. He's going to be fun to look at. I think more importantly, I think there's so much you're wondering about Armani Goodwin. He's a guy that you didn't necessarily know a whole heck of a lot about before the season started. Corey Kiner, you knew there was a lot of talk about him before he even set foot on campus. But having a guy like Feezy K lead the way, I think I'm absolutely going to be looking forward to seeing that. Meanwhile, we continue to hear about Derek Stingley playing offense. And I'm just wondering, like, when are we actually going to see that happening? Because the more we talk about it, like, in my mind, I just don't see it happening. Suppose he was going to practice with the offense before a camp injury caused him to miss a few days. He's supposed to be back on Monday, a lot like Ty Davis-Price, but we'll see. I'll be shocked if we see Stingley on the offensive side of the football in an actual game that actually matters. It could be in practice. But I feel like that's going to be a very rare thing. Like, I'm talking once in a blue moon type stuff. Not necessarily the greatest look in the world. If you have somebody on your defense having to play. It's very much a last resort type situation. Because I think he absolutely has the ability and the talent to do so. As I've heard from a lot of people, Brent Indes being one of them. On a post-game show I did a few years ago, whenever Derek Stingley Jr. was in high school, he mentioned him as possibly one of the best players he had ever seen play high school football since one Kevin Falk. And that's saying something. That's a very elite group to put him alongside. And I think Stingley has every chance to do that, but I just feel like he works better from this spot. You know, another guy that was definitely talked about in terms of playing both sides of the ball was Landon Jackson, a guy who... Not necessarily a whole lot was known about him, but he's coming in with, a, with some expectations to where he could play offensive line maybe down the road, especially if it works out and he transitions well from that perspective. Because he was recruited to play D-line, but obviously with a new regime and everything, you're not necessarily being able to be in that same spot, at least from what I can tell. Yeah, you know, there's a possibility of that. But, he, he, you know, I, I promised Landon and his mom and daddy in recruiting that he's going to play defensive line. And everybody wants him. The offensive line coach wants him. The tight end coach wants him. But I made a promise that him and his, and his mom and daddy, he's going to play defensive line, and he's going to get a shot to play a defensive line. He's a very good defensive lineman now. If things wouldn't work out. Uh, but, you know, right now he's full speed, but it, it's still hard for him to cut. He had a, 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 a tough ankle injury. And uh, we got to give him the time, let him prove himself there, and let's see what happens. But that is an option if that doesn't work out. It's a good idea. It is a really good idea. I'm not going to lie to people. And add the fact you want to have as much offensive line depth as humanly possible, so why not give him that opportunity to do that? And I think he's going to be interesting. He's a guy he played high school as a tight end, 
but I think he was going to work better as an offensive lineman because, again, I talked about a lot last week. With the fact you're going to have somebody like a Jack Besh out there on the in the tight end slot potentially, that makes you wonder how is this tight end position going to look? Because if he's a tight end, he's going to be more of a blocking tight end. He'll be used more in jumbo packages. I think at the end of the day, I don't see him being the catching the possession tight end. He'll be more of a blocker being used, like I said, in the jumbo packages. One more note here, though, and this is something a little bit different in terms of not what's going on on the field. This is off the field stuff. But apparently there, there are reports going out, and Wilson Alexander was, we were trying to get him on the show today, didn't necessarily work out, is what it is. But investigations going into LSU basketball and football have been extended after they were supposed to end back on July 31st. I think this is going to be a hot take. I don't think we'll see a single bit of blowback from all this. I could be completely wrong, but I have a feeling LSU will get away, relatively speaking, scot-free, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll still be coaching the Tigers for the foreseeable future. Again, that's my POV. If you think any differently, let me know. Call me up right now, 337-706-0111. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll wrap up our number one in style. Talk about some Cajuns and a free open practice coming up on Sunday. And I really want to go. Like I, I'm generally intrigued to see them. And I have the fact that I haven't seen a been inside Cajun Field physically in well over a year almost two years, I want to get at least a feel. I just want to, like, I want to taste. Like Michael Scott when he was hearing James Blunt's Goodbye, My Lover. just want to taste. just want to taste. Back after this on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp but under the dome with cd goes one higher why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder these go to 11 now back to the show that brings the heat on acadiana sports station 1037 the game welcome back to under the dome with cd right here on 1037 the game and 1037 thegamecom coming to you live from the first south farm credit studios I got a few minutes. I'm talking about some Cajuns. Spent a lot of time talking about LSU. I'm spending a little bit of time talking about the Cajuns. I want to spend more time about it, but honestly, I feel like this Cajuns camp has been like very low key and quiet. And sometimes that's what you want if you're a program is to not have a whole lot of controversy, not have a whole lot of you know mess going on. So at the end of the day, I think the Cajuns are doing the right things. I think they're building up towards obviously one of the biggest games in program history against Texas. And, you know, I was listening to the professor on my way here, and he brought up the fact that they're, he thinks the toughest game is Liberty. And I heard and heard him and Gerald Bruce are talking about that. And I'm in complete agreement with them from that perspective. I think it's going to be a tough game, but I think Texas is going to be that tougher game because it's the first one of the year. And you're going to play in a very hostile environment in Daryl K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium. That is going to be a very, like, hot, very, I mean, you can ask the LSU fans this from two years ago. It's going to be a hot environment. It's going to be very, very hostile. These fans are absolutely amped up. And you know that every Texas player wants to start off the Steve Sarkeesian era with a win because if you don't win, especially if 
the Longhorns don't win against the Cajuns in three weeks' time, we talk about the, the hot seat going from hot to scalding for Ed Ogeron if he loses to UCLA. I think the hot seat officially gets started already if Sarkeesian loses to the Cajuns. That's not a knock against the Cajuns. Again, I talked about it last week. I think the Cajuns, they win. They deserve to be acknowledged a lot high. They deserve to be ranked a lot higher than 23rd. If I see them ranked in the top outside of the top 20 after beating Texas, if they do, I'm going to be throwing a hissy fit on the air because <laughs> I'll tell you this right now. That is not something I want to see. I want to see the Cajuns get ranked higher, get ranked above a program like Coastal Carolina if they can pull off that big win to start the season. Now, when it comes to Liberty, I'm not necessarily sure it's going to be nearly as tough as they're saying it's going to be. Yes, in terms of the cold and all that stuff playing in November, yes. But at the same time, how many times have they had to play in the cold weather when they play App State in beautiful Boone, North Carolina? Or even in Georgia, when they've had to play in Statesboro or Atlanta and play the Panthers or the Eagles. or what? I mean, they've had to play in cold weather before. Like, this won't be their first rodeo. Playing in, I mean, they've played in December in App State's home stadium for the Sun Belt Topping game for a couple of years. I think they can handle this. At least it's what I think. I could be completely wrong, but I have a feeling we'll be seeing a really good team this year. And I want to... I, I, I can't wait to have some thoughts and actually get to see live and in living color this Cajuns team, which has every chance to be one of the best in program history. I've mentioned it before. I think 10-2, 11-1 is on the table. 12-0, I feel like that is probably a little bit more off the table. Hour 1 in the books. Hour 2 coming up next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game and good afternoon everybody hopefully you have a good one so far on this beautiful you know it's pretty damn Nice when I got out of my house this morning, and I'm absolutely excited. Under the Dome with CD, hour two of two officially underway. We have Ross Jackson on at the bottom of the hour. And, of course, we're coming to you live and in living color from the palatial and opulent, dare I say, you know, sterile first South Farm Credit Studios. Here, this Worldwide, and I'm absolutely loving being here. And you can check us out worldwide. I'm seeing people from like Helsinki, Finland, out there listening to Under the Dome with CD, using their favorite smart speakers, mobile apps, dot coms, whatever. But hey, if you're listening through the FM dial, the Tower of Power, he has the Tower of Power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man. We appreciate you 
any way. And hopefully you're enjoying yourself on this Louisiana Saturday morning. Because, man, we got a lot to get to. we got a lot to get to. And before I get into some Saints talk, because I've got a theory that I brought up on Twitter recently, and I want to get your thoughts on it. If you want to call up 337-706-0111 about these New Orleans Saints, because I've got pointed opinions about this franchise and where they are right now, today. So before we do that, I want to do a little mea culpa because I've been on this show and I've been on the Jordy Holtberg show in the past. And this was as soon as recent as maybe like two months ago. I heard Jordy for a week say this and saying that, you know, we were going to have to have vaccination cards or proof of a negative test in order to be able to go attend LSU games. I think we're in that direction. And maybe it was just wishful thinking on my part. But we're going to have to do that in order to attend Saints games. So if you're going to go to a Saints game, I'll bring this up to you right now. Make sure you get there with plenty of time. Because I guarantee you, it's going to be a pain in the tuckus to go do this, to go deal with this, if you're going to go to a game this year. That's, I mean, if you are. I'm not saying, you know, you got to go. But if you attend a game, make sure you get there early because you're going to be dealing with a lot of stuff. You'll be dealing with lines. You'll be dealing with like backups like crazy. It's it's going to be a mess. I think we can just say that on Front Street right now. It's going to be a mess to deal with. And if you're not a fan of dealing with lines and you're dealing with you know, the check-ins, all that stuff, because I guarantee you, especially the first few weeks, you are going to be having like the time of your life, and I'm saying that very sarcastically, to be honest with you. Because it's, it's going to be ridiculous. But I'm going to say that. Like, I'm going to own up to it and say, hey, I was wrong. Because I did not expect this thing to just escalate to the level that it is now. I think obviously if it was the worst case scenario and we see, I mean, we're in that kind of sort of worst case scenario, but I thought we were going to be on the other side of it. Uh, apparently I was dead wrong. Mind you, I've been, I've been wrong about a lot of things. This one, I felt like I was hard lined and saying, you know, we were going to see college football, full attendance, no matter what, no need for a proof of vaccination. I think it'll vary from state to state, but based off of what we saw the other day with the announcement from uh, the Saints, I'm almost certain Cajun Field and Tiger Stadium and Tulane Stadium and all these other great stadiums across the country, or across the state, I should say, are probably going to go follow suit. Now, when you talk about, I'd say this could very well vary from county to county if we're talking Texas. Because, again, delving back towards the Cajuns-Texas game. I'm almost certain we're going to be going full attendance with a lot of these stadiums across the state of Texas. But I think Austin, because they're a little more of a different lean, I'll just say that much, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have to allow vaccination or a negative COVID test within 72 hours, negative PCR test. That's kind of where this whole thing is going to lie. I'm intrigued, though. I'm intrigued to see how that's going to happen and how much of a pain it's going to be for fans to get into their stadiums if this becomes more of a nationwide thing. Because I'm certain there will be some states, like Texas, like Florida, that will still be very much no-holds-barred and we'll see them get a lot more events. I mean, we saw just this past weekend a packed Houston stadium. I can't remember. It might have been Toyota Center. 
for UFC, which was, mind you, a very underwhelming card. It was it was kind of like one of the worst cards of the post-pandemic era, even though we're still in it. But in terms of having fans back in the stands, I think we're never gonna not we're never gonna go like retract. I think in my mind, we're never gonna go full like retraction, but we're gonna figure out a way. And we, as in the executives, the higher ups in the NFL, the NCAA. MLB, NHL, NBA, they're going to figure out a way to still make money. Because if you're going to be playing games, an 82-game season, for instance, in the NBA, without fans, you are probably going to be operating at a loss. And it's a big loss. And you can't do that for a couple straight years where you're having to operate almost to a certain extent at a loss as a whole in your organization. Yes, you see certain... Things like, for instance, WWE and AEW, for almost a full year, they went without allowing fans in the stands. Mind you, AEW still technically had fans, but they just started, I mean, these two companies just started running tours again, started running roads again, running shows, and nothing major has happened. You haven't seen a major outbreak, which is a good thing, but at the same time, you're just wondering, like, when's that next domino going to fall? But I'm not going to be here to be doom and gloom. I'm just saying, get ready for lines because it's going to be a pain if you go see your New Orleans Saints this season. I'm hoping we can get on the other side of this. I'm not here to pontificate or speak or preach Tentorian from the mount. I'm just here to say, get ready for lines and get your get your license and your vaccination card out. I'm just going to go ahead and leave it at that. But meanwhile, the New Orleans Saints. There's been a mess going on the last several weeks, if you're a Saints fan. And it's been one after the other after another. Like Every time I turn on footnotes, I feel like Kevin Foote is about like five seconds away from just like breaking out into like tears. Because of how much of a mess it's been this offseason. First you have, you know, Drew the offseason's been like an absolute bleep show. So first off, obviously, you have the situation with Michael Thomas getting injured just before, you know, the start of the season. Like he, he he's injured, he's missing the first month of the season. You have that. You have the arrest with Marshawn Lattimore. Name escaped me for a second. You don't know like we still don't know if he's gonna be suspended. I'm asking Ross about that later. Because I'm wondering like why haven't we heard anything about him getting suspended yet? This feels like something that they're just delaying to the point where they're gonna wind up like suspending him in the middle of the year. David Onyemana, out for the next six games. Will Lutz, he's out for several weeks. You got a guy, you have to pick up a guy off the street, essentially, to be your kicker. You're still trying to find out who your punter is right now. Then you have Patrick Robinson. He abruptly retires. He retires out of nowhere. And my theory, and I brought this up on Twitter the other day, and it's something I thought about, but finally just said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to throw this theory out there, and I'll ask Ross about this as well, because, again, this is just my POV in all this, is that I'm convinced Drew Brees was the guardian angel of this franchise. Because think about it. Like, outside of maybe a few malcontents like a junior galette, you didn't, and Brandon Cooks, I think as well, could be accounted for in that number. Jimmy Graham to a certain extent, because Jimmy Graham felt like he was owed 
like wide receiver money when he was a tight end and like a good tight end, but not necessarily a great tight end worth that kind of money level. That's where I'm at with him. Obviously, we can bring up Willie Sneed as well, but I think Willie Sneed just kind of he had his own exit, and it was a little bit not it was not a great look for him. But it makes me kind of think that outside of maybe a few isolated incidents, this team was able to kind of weather the storm. In my mind, I think that's over. I think that Drew Brees was a Saints guardian angel, and now he's gone, and this entire thing is going to hell in a handbasket. I just feel like that's kind of where he's at right now. I think that's where this franchise is at. Because there are so many questions about where this all is. And I'm wondering, like, what's happening? With this franchise, what are we doing if we're if we're sitting here in 2021 and we don't have a starting corner? Probably we don't have a really good defensive tackle who came out of nowhere. Again, David Onyemata may have been like I mentioned this before. In terms of sheer value, he was absolutely probably one of the best guys. P-Rob, he's gone. So you you potentially are without your two top-level like corners for week one against one of the most prolific passers in the league today. One of the top three quarterbacks in the league. And I'd say probably number two behind one Tom Brady, and maybe in some circles probably would throw Pat Mahomes at number two and put Aaron Rodgers at number three. I just think Pat Mahomes is much more like dual threat, and it, cha- it's, it changes that conversation. But for me, Drew Brees was without a doubt the Saints' guardian angel. He's helped this team weather the storm. Now you're not only are you kind of dealing with like the loss that you're losing Drew Brees. He's still going to be around, but he's not going to be around in a playing sense. You don't have him being the leader. Now you're trying to figure out who that leader is going to be. Who that guy? Who's the guy that's going to lead this program, lead this franchise, possibly to another Super Bowl? Who's the guy that's going to lead this franchise to another playoff run? Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill? Honestly, there hasn't been a whole lot of optimism there either because they have had some iffy practices. And you start to wonder, with all this stuff, who's going to have to step up the most? Is it going to be the defense? Or is it going to be the offensive line with all the continuity they've been building up over the last few years with a lot of young guys? Because I think the offensive line has to be the most crucial part of this. Because if Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill are having to like run around like, like chickens with their head cut off, I guarantee you, you are going to be seeing a team go from being a contender to a pretender in a very short period of time. I think the Saints have every chance to still be around that 10-7 and seven range. But I'm starting to think that you're probably going to be nine and eight, eight and seven. Oh, excuse me. I'm trying to think of the number now. So it's like nine and eight, and then it'd be, be eight and nine. So eight, eight, nine and eight or eight and nine. That's kind of where you're dipping down towards. And if you have that eight and nine season, that'd be your equivalent of seven and nine back in the day. I'm starting to think this team needs to see a lot of overhaul. Needs to see a lot of changes, namely the quarterback position. You've got to kind of figure out what you're going to do with Michael Thomas and his total divaness. 
honestly, if worse comes to worse, you, you play this season out with, with Michael Thomas, no doubt in my mind. But as soon as the season ends, you treat him like Jimmy Graham, you treat him like Brandon Cooks, and send them off somewhere. But this time, make sure you get something out of it. Don't let this be a situation like what, you, what happened with Brandon Cooks, where you just traded him off and got a couple draft picks. Make this more like a Jimmy Graham-type move. Because what you did with Jimmy Graham may have been low-key one of the best moves in Saints franchise history. Because when you've got Max Unger, you won that trade just off of that alone, getting Max Unger there. Because Max Unger helped improve that offensive line, and that helped improve a lot of different things. It took a couple years, but they were able to get out of the 7-9 funk they were in because they had started to build the offensive line. You had somebody like a Max Unger in that number, and he helped that team tremendously because he was a really solid center alongside young guys like Andrus Pete. You still had Zach Street, Toronto Armstead, when he's healthy. There was a lot of positives. But now you're trying to like, – Sean Payton's having to weather a lot more storms than he's ever been used to for my POV. If you got some thoughts, get your shots up. 337-706-0111. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We'll be back after this right here on 103.7 The Game. With Under the Dome with CD. Ross Jackson joined the program in about 13, 14 minutes. considered world famous but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us just don't talk to him while he's eating lay off me I'm starving now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game Acadiana Sports Station welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com and you know one of the other things I want to get to because obviously we're in the midst of the preseason in the NFL. And we see a lot of people just putting over like Rover a lot of players. Namely, I think Mac Jones is one that obviously comes to mind. Like Dan Shaughnessy said this, and this is just, it's a wild take. This is coming from NBC Sports out in Boston. And obviously it's overreaction. But according to one Dan Shaughnessy who works for the Boston Globe, Compared him to a young Tom Brady with how he played in his first preseason game this past, I believe this was Thursday, against the Washington football team, which, mind you, is no barometer you want to want to putting on a kid. is playing against the Washington football team and actually looking good because, let's be honest, the Washington football team hasn't been good for a while, and it feels like they're just getting worse. But it's more because... I think of an ineptitude and also the fact that I feel like it's karma because one, you know, Dan Snyder is still running the team, just like how the Chargers will probably never win win a, a Super Bowl ring as long as one Dean Spanos is in charge. I'm almost certain that's going to happen. So in my mind, you can't take away all this stuff. But he said, you know, he thought that he looked like a young Tom Brady a little bit, just kind of not doing too much of staying with himself. And this offense looked like the old offense of 2002 with him at the helm. And obviously there's still going to be some QB competition with him and Cam. 
I wouldn't be surprised if Cam Newton is the backup week one. I feel like Mac Jones has every chance to do so. But I think we need to cool the Jets a lot when it comes to the conversation about quarterbacks and and players in general, how they look after one preseason game. And I'm saying that because tonight, obviously, Saints are playing the Ravens on prime. It's pretty much primetime television playing the Ravens. Do not eat the cheese. That's what I'm going to say to you. Do not eat the cheese. If you see Jameis Winston look phenomenal, then yeah, you can kind of say, I like this. This is the way I want to see things go. That's great. That's great. You want to you want to talk about this being great for the franchise. Great for the franchise to see somebody like that work well. If Taysom Hill does well, awesome. Like, But I feel like you just need to cool the Jets a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm being serious. If you see either one, either James Winston, Taysom Hill, perform well, just realize it's just one preseason game. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Because let's say, you know, hypothetically, I saw this brought up last night as well. Remember when Ryan Leaf outdueled Peyton Manning in a preseason game? Which one's in the Hall of Fame and which one's not? That's all you need to know. So I can't I can't preface that enough by saying that this franchise, the Saints tonight, has a lot riding on it. But if you're gonna put all your stock and push it to the middle of the table like you're at a poker table, which mind you, I've been hearing a lot of poker tables have been pretty empty as of late in the midst of COVID's fourth or fifth surge, whatever it is. That's a different situ- different conversation. But I think the New Orleans Saints and the fans have to temper their expectations a little bit before we get a little bit too off the wall. I don't want to see this team and this franchise go off the deep end over the fact that they couldn't get it done. I don't want to see that because that would suck, to be honest with you, to see a franchise that's so highly regarded drop down to that point. Because I think the fans absolutely have every right to want a Super Bowl ring no matter what. They have every right to be that way. But I think you have to at least temper your expectations until you see them play in an actual game that actually matters. Because you're going to see both teams. I know Sean Payton talked about a lot how he does it in three phases. He has ones, twos, and threes. He has his idea how the rotation comes out. Don't freak out when Taysom Hill's out there for the first snap. Don't freak out when you see Jameis Winston take the first snap or whatever. I guarantee you, there is a plan. You've got three preseason games to see which one you like better. And hopefully, Sean Payton does indeed make the right decision. I'm not going to sit here week one on the Saturday, September 11th, the Saturday before the Saints' regular season opener against the Green Bay Packers, and be mad if it's Taysom Hill over Jameis or vice versa. I'm going to hope both one of them does well because if both of them falter and don't do well, now you're wondering what the hell is going on with this franchise. 
you're going to wonder, like, if there's a true battle and both of them stink up the joint, now you're hoping Ian Book pans out or maybe somebody else does work out. I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think this franchise has had one or two, like one elite quarterback, two good to great quarterbacks in terms of the context of the franchise, and everybody else has been mediocre or god-awful. I did the tier list a few weeks ago. Tell me I'm not, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong about this Saints franchise and their past with quarterbacks. The numbers are out there. The data's out there. I think that's just a matter of fact for me. Is that the New Orleans Saints haven't had the best luck in terms of quarterbacks in their history. I'm hoping that changes. But I'm not certain it's going to change. Now when it comes to the rest of the NFC South, I think obviously... I think this makes the road for Tom Brady to win an NFC South championship a little bit easier. He won't have to possibly play in a preseason in a preseason let's me a wild card game. That, that was the crazy part of Tom Brady's road to a Super Bowl last year. Because he actually did it in the way that he never really had to do it before. Playing in a wild card game, working his way all the way to the Super Bowl. Having to beat a team that beat him twice. It was a rarity to see that kind of thing happen see the Saints like not get that sweep. And, of course, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl at the end of the day. So, can he do it again? I don't know. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Falcons, they lost last night, and that definitely did not look good. But, again, I am, I'm going to be having my eyes focused tonight on what happens with the Saints team. And we're talking to Ross about it in a little bit. But, I'm questioning a lot of things if we see the quarterback play regress in a certain manner. Because it's not going to be great. It's not going to be a great look. I think this, if, if it's not great, if you don't see them be good enough to be like on the precipice of being a wild card team, because I feel like the wild card could very well be like two teams for the NFC West. Because I feel like the, the North doesn't necessarily do anything for me. And the East, good luck, God bless. I don't know how much the East can improve over the last year to not be in that spot. But, again, that's just my POV on things. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. When we come back, we're going to talk some more Saints with our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Been a while since you talked to him. We'll get to it next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break up. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Oh, my goodness. When you hear that music, it just hits differently, especially after a few months of not hearing that song. It only means one thing on Under the Dome with CD. It means we got the one, the only, 
Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints podcast, as well as Canal Street Chronicles on to talk about what's going on with the New Orleans Saints. And there is a lot to get to with those New Orleans Saints. Ross, how you been, my brother? It feels like the first day of school. We're back in session, and you're back <laughs> on the program. How you been, dude? I'm good. No, it's exactly what it feels like. It feels like the first day back, you know. But I got my lunch pail. I'm ready to get going. There's so much going on with this season. It's a very intriguing one, so I'm ready to break it down with you, man. I mean, it's probably the most intriguing season in New Orleans Saints history because I think for the first time ever, like when you think about the history of this franchise, I honestly can't think of a more quarterback controversy-laden training camp than this one. This isn't necessarily, you know, obviously true quarterback controversy where you're trying to figure out which one's going to fit best. It's more just wondering who's going to take the mantle from Drew Brees and at least somewhat live up to expectations because the hype is high for this team to want to try to make the playoffs. Meanwhile, everything else around them is kind of falling apart, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But what, what have you seen from the quarterback competition between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill? Yeah, this definitely has been a really intriguing and interesting one specifically because, you know, in terms of the offseason, I think that the 2006 offseason was, of course, an, an interesting and exciting one. But Drew Brees had the great uh, opportunity to not have to follow up Drew Brees, uh, <laughs> which I think is one of the big differences for these two quarterbacks here. So when you look at this quarterback competition between the two of them, and, and you've seen lots of people, I'm sure, by now mention that, it's hard to find separation between these two quarterbacks in terms of what's happened in camp. And I think a lot of that is because what makes both of these quarterbacks individually special, Taysom's legs, first of all, his ability to be able to create when a play breaks down, his ability to be able to scramble and be a ball carrier. And then you look at Jameis Winston, whose thing that makes him so special is that that big arm of his. Neither of those guys have either gotten the opportunity or – have focused on those areas of their game to try to win this quarterback battle, which I think is actually a positive. I think that both of them came into New Orleans Saints camp this past month, and the focus was on showing that they could run Sean Payton's offense, which I think was a really wise decision by both of the quarterbacks. So I'm very excited to see them both in game action, uh, but it has been a lot of fun watching them in camp as well. No, exactly, but it's just wild to see this kind of thing play out especially in the midst of everything else that's going on with this franchise. Because obviously you have Michael Thomas. He's out for at least the first month of the season. Who knows if he's still going to be part of the team after this season, after all the shenanigans that have been going on, him making the list like he's Ryan from the office about his team. And hopefully he hopefully he isn't necessarily checking it twice, but it's just it's not a great look if you're the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I mean, that was a really tough situation. And sure, I mean, we've gotten a lot of reports right now about, you know, uh, Sean Payton and Michael Thomas coming together to sort of work through all of it. Uh, Michael Thomas is expected to be on the sideline, although, of course, not playing in the game this afternoon, but he's expected to be there on the sideline sort of as a show of solidarity and camaraderie with, with the rest of his teammates. And so it's the type of leadership that this team expects or, or display of leadership that this team expects from their highly paid players. So I think that, you know, the fact of the matter is that if things are good for the 2021 season when he comes back, it doesn't necessarily mean that things are good moving forward. I've said several times over the course of the last week that I'm really not one of the people, I'm really amongst the population of people that never really expect star players to finish up their big contracts with the teams that signed them to them. It's just not what the NFL 
is, and it, it rarely is, and certainly there are cases of that. I mean, you can look at the New Orleans Saints, of course, and find several examples of it, but usually that's the exception, not the rule. No, exactly. I think he's just wondering how this whole thing is going to pan out because obviously Michael Thomas is such a great talent. You'd love to have him still be there with this franchise, but if he wants out and you wind up seeing a really good suitor, I think more importantly for me, I think you need to find somebody to pair up with to the point where you can you can say, hey, this is what we're going to wind up doing, what we're going to wind up getting, because you want to wind up getting something a little bit more than, say, what you did out of the Brandon Cooks trade. Just use that comparatively mm-hmm. speaking, because it feels like it feels like a similar thing for the Michael Thomas and Brandon Cooks thing, because Brandon Cooks had a bit of an ego after a while being with the Saints, and then Michael Thomas came around, and he wasn't necessarily getting as many cookies, so you sent him off to the New England Patriots for basically a washing machine. Right. I mean, well, you get the you get the first round pick from them, which turned into Ryan Ramchek. But are those picks always going to turn into all pro players, yeah. top ten, you know, top three players at their position? No, right. Like that's not always going to be the case. So with a Michael Thomas trade, the ideal situation would be if, if if a trade were to happen after this season or sometime into next season or something like that, I, I would say that you probably want to return a proven commodity. Right, you want someone yep. that you can already sort of see has displayed, you know, an ability to be able to contribute to a team, and that fits your scheme and fits your system and fits what you're doing. And and then in addition to that, a pick. I mean, a usual wide receiver package for a, a big time wide receiver is a first round pick and a third round pick. But is that going to be enough for you to give up somebody that also caught 149 passes for you just two years ago? And it's going to be a huge focal point once he returns from that off season ankle injury and is going to be somebody that's going to be, you know, the number one option probably in your offense in terms of the passing game. Obviously, Alvin Kamara is there as well, but in terms of the passing game, Michael Thomas is going to be first read downs one through four, you know? So I think that that's going to be one of the big questions to find out is, you know, if you do decide to move on from Michael Thomas after the season, which is entirely possible, are you really going to get a return that's worth it are you really going to get a return that's of value? Now, you end up boosting his value here if you trade him after the season, if he comes in and has a good season once he comes back from the, from the offseason surgery. You win a few games, and the, and the relationship is amicable, right? But if he's forcing his way out, then obviously you don't have much control over what the market states his value is. My mind, just keep him happy till the end of the season, then trade him for Aaron Rodgers. Who says no? <laughs> hey, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, you look at the Aaron Rodgers contract and, you know, the way that they, they structured, restructured the contract to save money this year so that he could have an out by the end of the season and everything. And so, you know, I mean, look, I, I think that I think Aaron Rodgers is, will, will have played his last game in Green Bay whenever their run is done in 2021. That was a nice little rhyme there. Uh, but, I, you know, Michael Thomas, I think you'd love to keep him around for as long as you can, but. At least you didn't go to the lengths that Green Bay went to pacify a situation and it effectively put an end date on the relationship. All right. Talk right now. We're all Jackson, locked on Saints, Canal Street Chronicles. Here's my next question What the hell's going on with Marshawn Lattimore? Why haven't we heard anything about him being suspended or not? It's like we're a month away from the season starting. We still have no idea if he's going to be suspended for the first couple games. Yeah, this is a really interesting situation, and I've had a lot of conversations with uh, a good friend, Matty Hudak, who is over at Saints Wire and also um, uh, formerly with Canal Street Chronicles. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about 
the situation here. And it's funny because it's not only the NFL that's sort of dragging their feet on this. So is the city of Cleveland and the state of Ohio. Like, there's been no movement in this case at all whatsoever. And so I don't know if it's a prima facie situation or if it's something that is, you know, maybe we don't really have the full story and understanding of what happened and elsewhere there is a full, more full and holistic understanding. And so it just seems that no one's really in a hurry to move this whole thing forward, which could be good news for the New Orleans Saints as long as some, you know, thing doesn't happen or some decision is made right in the middle of the season while they're, you know, on the midst of some type of a, you know, unexpected run to the playoffs or something like that. I mean, obviously you want it to either be um, uh, resolved before the season or resolved after the season. Just rip the Band-Aid off, but no one Roger Goodell will get it, like, right as we're on the cusp of, like, a, you know, 10 and 7, 11, 11 – it's – all right, it's so weird. Like, oh yeah, I, I see. Like, it's oh, yeah. so weird because we're trying to figure out the seventeen game season. I'm saying ten and seven, and I'm like, okay, what's know, what's after that? <laughs> why do we, why right. do they have to change it so suddenly? <laughs> I know, and now you have no more five hundred teams, right? You're either a winning team or a losing. Yeah, team. there's no line in between any longer. I guess you could tie, which I guess you'd still be considered a winning team because it counts as half a win. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it makes the it makes you know coming up with the quick math around it super hard because we're so accustomed to our entire lives talking about or most of our entire lives talking about a sixteen game season. All right, so stick with the defense more on the secondary side of things. I think we need we talk about Marshawn Lattimore. If he's potentially suspended for the first two or three games of the season, at least that's how like my mind thinks it's going to pan mm-hmm. out. And obviously with Patrick Robinson, he retired. Who could wind up stepping up in a, in, a, in a big way to fill that void? Yeah, so the, the Patrick Robinson retirement certainly complicates things. Obviously, when it's time for a player to retire, it's the right time for a player to retire, and there's no there's no way around that. But it does, you know, sort of put the Saints in, in a little bit of a, a precarious situation. So right now they kind of have to figure out what's going to happen opposite Marshawn Lattimore because Patrick Robinson was sort of your assumed starter there, and then potentially, as you mentioned, in place of, uh, of Marshawn Lattimore now. The Saints, even before Patrick Robinson retired, were still referring to the cornerback position as a must. So that could mean that they're looking at the trade market. That could mean that they're waiting to see who ends up getting released over the course of the next few weeks, over the course of roster cuts, or who becomes available for trade during that time, too. Some players, some teams may, instead of wanting to cut a player at the bottom of their depth chart and not get anything in return, would rather trade someone in the middle of their depth chart who also won't get snaps and get something in return and then maintain a special teamer or something like that. So there's some opportunity to take advantage of that across the NFL once those roster cuts are down. But if no player is added, then for me, the starting cornerbacks on either side are very likely going to be Paulson Adebo on the defensive right. He's the third-round rookie that was drafted out of Stanford in this year's draft. Long, lengthy, former wide receiver, has great ball skills, just has some uh, mechanics, things that need to be worked through. But Chris Richard always does a great job with all of that. And then you start her opposite him, and even if Marshawn Lattimore ends up being available to start the season, I think the starter right now opposite Marshawn Lattimore or Paris Paulson Adebo, if Marshawn's unavailable, would be Ken Crawley. And I know that you know a lot of people just punch their radio, but the fact of the matter is that when it comes down to Ken Crawley, he's looked really, really good in camp, and now you want to see if he can translate that into full-speed on-field action so that you can find out, are you getting 2017 Ken Crawley? Or are you getting 2018 Ken Crawley, who was replaced by Eli Apple after giving up a 140-plus passer rating when targeted? We don't actually know the answer to that question yet, regardless of how good he's looked in camp. So we'll sort of get clean a little bit more detail about that over the course of the next few weeks. 
Exactly. Talking right now, Ross Jackson, Canal Street Chronicles, Locked on Saints podcast. One guy that's been getting a lot of like talk and run during training camp that's close to our hearts here in the heart of Cajun country has to be obviously Christian Ringo. What's yeah. kind of been the, the POV from your perspective, what he's been able to do? Because I think he's absolutely, he's got he's gotten some run in a lot of other franchises, but could this be a good landing point for him? Yeah, listen, I um, I actually talked to RP3 uh, uh, about last week, right after I got back from training camp and everything, from being at training camp the week before. and Or, or no, sorry, it was right before I started going to training camp. And um, the one of the questions that he asked was about Christian Ringo. And I mentioned, yeah, you know, there's some of these guys like Malcolm Roach and Jalen Dalton and Shy Tuttle that are a little bit ahead of him, so it's going to be a little tough for him to break through. And I am so grateful to eat my words on that because he has just been outstanding in training camp. And there was a day to where when I was there and I was taking down notes, I had four plays in a row to where I had 70 check, 70 check, 70 check. Like he just kept making these plays. And he's making them in the run game. He's also disruptive as a pass rusher. He's getting interior defensive line push as well. And right now on the depth chart that was just released, he is actually ahead of Shy Tuttle, the unofficial depth chart that was released yesterday. He's actually ahead of Shy Tuttle on that depth chart right behind Malcolm Roach. So I'll be very excited to see him again. He'll benefit from, from, from some uh, full speed in-game action. But so far during training camp, he's been really, really impressive. And you love to see that as a, a, a Gulf Coast native. And as a uh, Louisiana, you know, uh, bred player as well, which is really exciting. Oh no, it's so exciting to see what he can do. But do you think he winds up making the fifty-three man roster and maybe takes advantage of the fact you're going to be without David Onyemata for the first six games? Yeah, I mean, I think that right now the door is open for him to do it. I don't think there's anyone in his way because even if you look at the top four defensive tackles that are behind David Onyemata, who, as you mentioned, is not going to be available for the first six games and not until after week seven because of the bye week. You've got Malcolm Roach, Shy Tuttle, and then you've got Jalen Dalton and Christian Ringo as those two, as those four guys that are solidly ahead of players like um, yeah, Albert Huggins and Josiah Bronson, who's another, who's an undrafted free agent coming in from uh, University of Washington Huskies there. So as long as he continues to do what he's done so far and continue to perform and show out in practice and, you know, and not even show out, just continue to be fundamentally sound and continue to make the plays that he's making and he stays healthy, then he's got an inside track right now, I believe, to that 53-man roster. I like to hear that, Ross. I like to hear that a lot. Now let's get to the game tonight, the first preseason game, Saints-Ravens. A little weird seeing the first game of the preseason be on a Saturday night. I'm so used to seeing Thursday night games, but I'm not complaining mm-hmm. about it, to be honest with you. So. What do you expect to see tonight from the New Orleans Saints when they take on the Ravens? Yeah, I think, look, overall you're going to see a pretty vanilla approach from both of these teams. You might see some blitzing in the first defensive series for each squad, but for the most part the focus is really going to be on the offenses and defenses that they've installed in camp thus far. And and the Saints have done a considerable amount of work and in dime packages, but they've also done some work in base packages, or excuse me, nickel packages. So they've also done some work in, in base packages. So uh, I think you're going to see, for the most part, uh, vanilla approaches on offense and defense that allow these players to be able to show that they can execute the basic needs on offense and defense. And that's usually what your first preseason game is. The big question mark is going to be which quarterback gets the starting reps, but to an extent, it doesn't entirely matter. If let's say, uh, I almost said Tamus. if Taysom Hill, let's say, gets the first reps on tonight's game, then that means that Jameis will get the first reps 
in next week's game. They're just going to flip and, and, and rotate. So for the most part, it's kind of irrelevant who actually gets those first ones. I expect it to be Taysom. He's been with the team longer. He got the first team reps during camp. That just makes sense to me. The team tends to be loyal to that kind of thing. So those are sort of the things that I'm expecting. But uh, there are a couple of players that I'm really interested in seeing. Juwan Johnson, who recently converted over to tight end, who's had a standout camp. And then that rookie, Paulson Adebo, that we talked about. Christian Ringo made that list for me as well. But I know we've gone in depth on him. Yeah. One more before I let you go, because this came out in the last mm-hmm. couple of days about what Saints games are going to look like from a fan perspective, where you're seeing them require vaccination cards or a or negative COVID tests taken 72 hours prior to the contest. Do you see that happening like league-wide? Because obviously the Saints are the, one of the first teams that I've noticed to do this. Could you see this happen more of a league-wide thing, or will this be more of a state-by-state, parish-by-parish, or in the case of every other state in America, county-by-county? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit more parish by parish, county by county, and and possibly state by state. Uh, It it just kind of depends on, you know, how are numbers there? What's the accessibility factor? Is it an indoor stadium? Is it an outdoor stadium? There's all of these other factors that kind of go into all of it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised for indoor stadiums for you to see more mask mandates come about for those as this new variant continues to, uh, to, to, spread. And so I think it's really going to be a case-by-case basis based upon is it indoor, is it outdoor, what's the infection rate, what's the hospitalization rate, what's the ICU uh, situation. There's all of these factors that sort of have to be taken into account around it all. And then, you know, how cautious or how lenient are those specific states or counties or areas in terms of this whole situation, too, I think also has to be taken into account. So a little bit hard to predict, but I don't, I will say this, I wouldn't be surprised if New Orleans Saints end up not being, or New Orleans, let me say, ends up not being the only city or or parish to do it. Oh, no, I'm almost certain we're going to see more of these do indeed pop up. I was just wanting your perspective on it, Ross. Can't thank you enough, my man. Hopefully we get to see a full season, and hopefully we don't get to see any more, like, variants. I was seeing something trending about a Lambda variant. I'm like, please let us not get to the Omega variant, because once we get to the Omega variant, yeah. I am very concerned. Yeah, I'm very done, and then the only thing left after that is Crocodile Loki, and I'm finished at that <laughs> I'm done at that one. So take, I hear you, man. <laughs> no, take, always a pleasure to be here with you, brother. I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to chatting with you some more here over the next few weeks. Oh, hell yeah, man. Ross Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter, of course. You probably know Ross Jackson Nola over on the Twitter sphere. We're going to try and get him on a little bit more often during the, the football season. We'll be back with more after this one final take, and then we're out of here like five Gs. Take it easy, everybody. We'll be back after this. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. My one final take here on the show, I think it's just... I'm, I've had a hard time thinking about this segment today because it's like there's so much other stuff going on through my mind. But I'll go more lighthearted here, like I usually try and do with a segment. But my last take for the show today is stay safe. I think that's that's the most important thing here. I got to say it. Be safe out there if you're going to wind up, you know, being out and about. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the Cages, they're going to be having their open practice on Saturday. 
obviously not like a complete fan day like we've seen in the past because I feel like that stuff may be on the other side of, of the world, comparatively speaking, just compared to where we were a couple years ago. This is a great opportunity. Just make sure to stay safe out there if you're going to be going out to a big event like this. Because, trust me, we're not out of the woods yet. Hopefully we are towards the end of the road. Because once we're getting to, you know, the Omega variant, again, I am very concerned about where things stand. Not just from a Louisiana standpoint, but a just, in general, like, life standpoint. Because Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, and that's usually not a good sign. That's just my take on things. But I'm out of here. Be back with you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Don't you worry. We got Astros baseball coming up later tonight, 8.07 first pitch. Make sure you brew a pot of coffee for that and also 3.07 first pitch on Sunday. Hopefully the Astros can get the sweep over those darn Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim or whatever they call themselves this year. We'll be back next week. Once again, same bad time, same bad channel. Take it easy, everybody. Hey, Clavis, wake up. It's your door. Oh, yeah. Kick it.